Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to the Living Clean Study for the Anonymous podcast. This is episode 33. We're going to begin on page 112 with this kind of crisis. But first, we're going to give our introductions. Eva, could you jump in and introduce yourself, please? everybody, it's Eva P. here from uh, Sable Morgan, Mid-Willamette Valley area. Uh, my clean date is June 10th, 2000, and my home group is the Do It Hard meeting. Right. All right. Thanks, Eva. Jennifer W., what's up? Hi, everyone. My name is Jennifer, and I'm an addict. My clean date is November 27th, 1992, and I attend meetings in Sacramento, California. Thanks, Jennifer. What's up, Barb? Hey, Douglas, I'm Barbar. I stay in the panhandle of Florida. My clean date is October 4th, 1995, and my home group is Open Mind in New Orleans. Thanks, Barb. What's up, Brian? Hello, I'm an addict named Brian. My clean date is November 18th, 2019. I attend meetings in southwestern Pennsylvania, and my home group is the Sunday morning literature meeting of NA. Thank you. All right, thanks, Brian. What's up, Jane? Hey, Jane A. here from Salem, Oregon. Clean date is December 22nd, 1979. And my home group here in Salem is the Noon Thursday Basic Tech Study. All right. Thanks, Jane. And our returning guest, Jeremy C. What's up, Jeremy? Good evening. I'm Jeremy. I'm an addict. I live in Birmingham, Alabama. My home group is Leads to Recovery. And my clean date is May 15th of 2021. All right, welcome back, bro. I'm addict, name's Douglas. I'm going to clean March 12, 2000 in southwestern PA, and I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina, in the Fairmont, West Virginia area now. All right, folks, let's get started. This is a Living Clean Study for the Anonymous podcast, episode 33, page 112, with this kind of crisis. And Barb is going to facilitate. Take it away, Barb. Thanks, Douglas. Hello, everybody. And Jane has agreed to kick us off. So go ahead, Jane. Yeah, thank you, Barb. You want me to read all the way over to aging? Yes. yes. Okay. This kind of crisis can be frightening in its intensity. And sometimes it seems we can only distinguish it from another kind of struggle in retrospect. Intense as it is, it is temporary and relieved by breakthrough or by an obstinate willfulness to hang on until the crisis passes. We undergo a vital spiritual experience and are changed, says the basic text. We can be restored to sanity and live happy and productive lives, but it may not be safe or sensible to wait to find out what kind of crisis we're having before we seek help. We may need new tools to continue to build a house. It doesn't mean we are abandoning the work we've done or betraying our commitment if we sometimes go looking for them elsewhere. Some of our more experienced members have shared that moments of deepest insanity occur when our insides don't match our outsides, when we are doing things that go against our beliefs, when we are in one way or another living a lie, or when we are in denial of what really is happening around us. The disconnect between what we want, what we believe, and what we are doing is enough to make anyone feel insane and can be a powerful force for relapse. Coming back to living in integrity begins with sharing honestly with one person. It may be a long road back, but the alternative can be so painful that we may not survive it clean. When we tell our sponsor or trusted friend what's really going on, we can begin to feel a little hope again. And a couple of things stuck out real big and strong for me. And that was the whole thing about insides and outsides and living a lie. And uh, for me, 
a lot of times something that's not shared today with somebody becomes a secret tomorrow and I'm living a lie by the third day and I can't afford that. It won't take long before uh, you don't know me and I'm not going to those damn meetings ever again because <laughs> uh, they'll find out. Somebody's bound to find out. It's just a, a backdoor to using again. And uh, I, I would rather walk through the fear and the insanity of telling somebody than the insanity of the life that I led before I got here. And the other one is, um, in fact, I just ran into it today with somebody that's desperately in need of help. Um, it reminds me of the story where uh, somebody's the big old flood going on and the guy's sitting on top of the roof and two or three people come by and he won't take help from any of them because he's waiting for that big ship. And uh, I, I see that so often. We want help, but we're going to tell you how you're going to help us ahead of time. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, no, I need help. Whatever you tell me to do, I need help. Uh, unfortunately, I did learn that the hard way also. So that's all from me. Thanks. Thanks, Jane. Anybody else want to jump in? Go ahead, Doug. Thanks, Barb. I want to tag on to what Jane said because Paul's not here. He's working tonight. And you know what he would what he would talk about is that the stuff you're talking about, Jane, those couple of things of like, oh, I don't want anybody to know this, right? And and it does grow and it infects every other area of our life, man. I cannot, but anyway, so Paul would say that's the stuff that brings us together though. Right. Like if I if, when I when I revealed that that two percent or five percent or whatever that is, that's the stuff that that ugh, that's what you love me the, the most for, um, you know. So so uh, the other thing, man, I, I just went through this, man, with, with someone I was sponsoring for a while. And uh, it takes that one area of dishonesty about one certain thing. And here's the thing, man. Addiction tells us it tells me it tells me, man. I, I, and, and I've been clean for a while. It, it still tells you can be honest about this. You can compartmentalize it. Just, just wrap it up real tight. You don't have to be transparent about this. And it's a damn lie because what, what that does, it, it, it just infects every other area. And then, and then we, we don't know what we can be honest about, what we can't, what's meaningful and what's not. And Jane, you're exactly right. That's the progression because very, very soon it becomes fucking, I'm not calling my sponsor. I'm not going to a meeting. And then, you know what, when, when we're there, how the hell isn't using the, 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 I mean, that for me, I'm either committed to staying clean or committed to getting high. One, it's one or the other, you know, and, and, uh, um, yes, yeah, so I just, you know, uh, since Paul's not here, I wanted to throw, I got his proxy. I'm going to speak for him on, on that one. All right. And, and I like, he always said, and here's the thing. And here's the thing. So that was the thing. All right. I passed. <laughs> thanks Douglas. Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah. Thanks. I the thing I can just add on to what has already been said. I mean, when I first started my 90 and 90, you know, it, the thoughts that were going through my mind are just like this, what it says right here, the disconnect between what we want and what we believe. I, there were times whenever I was, you know, forcing myself to do this 90 and 90, you know, I got to, I got to make a commitment. I've got to do something. Otherwise I'm going to, I'm going to die. I've always heard about 90 and 90, but I've never done it. So I'm going to do this. And there were times when I thought that if anyone in these meetings knew who I really was, knew some of the things I'd done while I was using, they'd ask me to leave, never come back. Or if I actually opened up my mouth to share about some of the things that were bothering me, everyone would just run in opposite directions away from me. And that was my disease, trying to keep me isolated, trying to keep me alone, because that's how I'd always go back to using, because I believed I was alone and there was no one out there. But that 90 and 90 really changed my outlook because I got to hear words like, we don't care what you've done in the past. We don't care how much or how little you have only what you want to do about it. And that's what kind of kept me going back. And hearing that, I finally started to believe it. And I finally started to believe that I was worthy of recovery and I was worthy of a better life than what I've been living. 
the other thing that I really liked about this passage was the, you know, we need new tools to continue to build our house. You know, the, that's a term I've heard a lot in recoveries, new uh, spiritual tools and a spiritual toolbox or spiritual toolkit. I'm not building a house, but I'm building a better life for myself. And those spiritual tools that I never knew about, the things like prayer, meditation, working with a sponsor, not allowing those things to just get balled up and fester to the point where I'm just a miserable son of a bitch that doesn't want to be around anyone because I don't feel like I deserve to be around anyone. I can use some of these tools that have been available to me and have always been there, but I didn't know how to use them until coming into recovery and coming into NA. Thanks. Thanks, Jeremy. Eva? Man, oh man, do I relate to you, Jeremy. Um, but I, I wanna talk about a couple of different things. First of all, we undergo a vital spiritual experience in our change when the crisis passes. It says when the crisis passes, we undergo a vital experience uh, spiritual experience and our change and um, you know my go-to character defect or my go yes my character go-to de character defect my go-to is number one I lie by omission I keep a secret and my sponsor is like hey girl I see this are you do you happen to have any secrets oh I hate it when she's right and she like always knows and I'm like how does she always know but it's really easy it's my behavior because I can't I can't act a certain way when I'm lit I can't act clean if I'm living dirty right I can't and I can't continue to live dirty and stay clean so also right here where it says it may not be safe or sensible to wait to find out what kind of crisis we're having before we go seek help. Woo! I've seen, I've been to a place where the insanity was so bad that it was just like, I just, I had to do something. And so I didn't even know what, why I felt like I was feeling yet, you know? And what I found out is sometimes it happens backwards. You know, I get to find out why I'm feeling that way after I go seek the help that I need. And outside help is, is there's no shame around that. We talk, I talk a lot of, about that here. Um, and then at the end of this, right here where it says coming back to, to living in integrity begins with sharing honestly. Okay, we heard all that. Um, but it says we can begin to feel a little hope again. And I can remember when I was inside that insane asylum for whatever, whatever it was a week, right? Intensive, impatient mental health treatment. <laughs> That's the appropriate words they use these days. It was the cuckoo house. I mean, I wasn't even allowed, the shower curtain broke away if I pulled too hard to close it. You know what I'm saying? So I couldn't hang myself with it. And I'm thinking, some of these people get creative, right? Like I couldn't use a paper clip or a pencil. And they took my pens at the end of the day in case I wanted to stab my eye. I don't know. But there was a time right when I got there that I felt like I wanted to do that. Anything to relieve the pain, anything. And I couldn't get there with the steps. I needed more. So, um, but I can remember that when I told my, my sponsor and when I told a trusted friend, even when I talked to a, to a stranger, just told them that one little truth of what was really going on, it was like, I could breathe again, even if for a minute, even if it didn't stay, I could take a deep breath again and, and I could be like, okay, I'm not, it's not 100% a secret. It's not 100% that lying by omission. And I could, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to get emotional. And I could feel that little bit of hope again. 
And hope is such a big deal to me because without hope, I have nothing, right? I mean, I got here with no hope. And if I ever feel that way again, holy hell. I, and, and I did, you know, I did with 19 years clean. I felt like I had no hope and I was clean. And I thought, this isn't what I signed up for. So um, I began to feel that little bit of hope again. And when I started to feel that little bit of hope again, and I got the help that I needed, then I could come back to Narcotics Anonymous and say, hey, y'all, guess what? I went through this and I stayed clean and I had outside help and I don't care who knows it. Y'all can love me, agree with me. I don't care because it's what I had to do to stay clean. And that's what matters is, is that I take care of me, number one, first and foremost. That's all I got. Thanks, Eva. Jennifer? Thanks, Barb. Um, the, the first sentence in the second paragraph where it says, some of our more experienced members have shared that moments of our deepest insanity occur when our insides don't match, our insides don't match our outsides. And that really hit home with me. And, and what I wrote in my book was, I am not immune to insanity. You know, um, just because I have some clean time does not make me immune to my disease or life. And, you know, in, you know, the recent months of my life, there has been actually quite a bit of insanity. Um, and what I've experienced is, and I think, you know, Eva brought it up, was hope, you know, like I see the insanity and I know I have a lot going on, but the hope that, that I'm doing all the right things to get to the end of this place in my life and start this new place in my life has been really um, kind of what keeps me hanging on, you know, and when it talks about when we're doing things that go against our beliefs or in denial about what's really happening, you know, one of the things that I've experienced and kind of brought me to this brink of insanity is, you know, living a life that I thought that I was supposed to live, not living the life that I needed to live. And, um, and it really was based on old ideas and old thoughts, uh, what other people would think of me, um, whose standards am I living by? How is that supposed to go? And all of those things brought me to the place where I am today, which is, you know, at the at the end of this road for me is all of these new, great, fun things that I get to do in my life. But it doesn't mean that I haven't been insane. And so what happened for me, and this just actually just happened for me this morning, again, it happens over and over again when I call somebody and I share about what's going on. And I was talking to my sponsor, and I was feeling salty about some stuff. And, and, um, and she reminded me, you know what I mean? Like, I get to do all of these things that I get to do because I'm clean, even though they're uncomfortable, even though I don't like them, even though I don't want um, to feel all the yucky feelings that go along with it, um, with change. Uh, this is the things that I get to do today. I get to do it because I choose to stay clean and, and, and being clean and being, I guess what you would call it. And I appreciate this book, calling it an experienced member and not an old timer. Um, Cause I don't feel like an old timer. Uh, even though people call me that sometimes I'm like, that's not me, but uh, experienced members, you know, we still suffer. We still go through pain. And, and the only thing that I have today um, that keeps me in a place where I know that there's an end in sight and I'm going to be okay is the work that I've done consistently throughout my recovery, you know, and, and I have sought outside help and I do see a therapist every week and she helps me untie a lot of things that I don't understand. Um, and all of those resources that I have today, you know, get me to this place where it reminds me again, I have hope. My life is changing for the good. I'm doing what I need to do for me. And in that, I get to allow myself to be of service to others. Um, and uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Jen. I've heard you guys have said a lot of um, good stuff that I could relate to. And every time I've went through a crisis, I've grown to, to the point to where now I've grown, I get through it. And it's usually a very, it's one of the, it's usually the most spiritual time in my recovery. The worst times are the most spiritual times, you know? And I, until today when, and I learned something about me, you know? 
I learn more about me. So I can almost today say, uh-oh, here it comes. <laughs> learn something else. You know, I'm getting ready to grow. And, um, you know, it, it, it happens like that. My friend Jerry always says, after every storm, there's a rainbow. My friend says, there ain't no freaking rainbow after every storm. But I believe there is. There has been for me. There's a rainbow after every storm. So, um, and I like that um, where we seek other tools. And I've done that. My sponsor teaches me that um, I have the disease of addiction. And as Douglas says, money, food, and sex, it manifests in many areas in my life and I treat it where it manifests. And that has taken me, I've been in therapy more years. I'm not in right now. I have been in therapy more years than I've been out. And I do um, about the secrets. You know, when I came in, um, you guys said, told me I was sick as my secrets. And, and I, I, I tell somebody, everybody, I tell all my secrets to somebody. It might not be the same person. And I do, in my therapy, I do a therapy called free association. And you talk. It's like talk therapy. And you say whatever comes to your mind and you see how you don't want to say something. Something comes to your mind. It's like, oh, I don't want to say that. Even though it's just you and the therapist. But I've learned to say it anyway, you know, and what I've learned is that I learn something and I grow and I get freedom from that. The truth will set you free, you know, and I don't I don't have any secrets today, you know. So um, and, and about the honesty, about what Paul would say about the um, honesty, you know, that that's what gave me hope when I came in the room. So the laughter and the, the courage that I saw in the honesty, you know, so I try to practice that because. You know, so many of us die from this disease, you know, and I, and, and the only reason that I can explain why I am here is because um, I need to, I need to share it, you know, I need to give it away if it can um, help self, help save somebody else. So does anybody else have anything? Okay, then let's go to aging and we'll let Brian, who doesn't, <laughs> probably not fitting for him, but Brian, would you read, please? <laughs> sure, Barbara. Yeah, we'll talk about it. <clears throat> okay, aging, life passages, everyone, life passages, everyone has to deal with are changed for us because of our disease. They may be magnified by our obsession or and self-centeredness, or we may simply be more dramatic than our non-addict friends and neighbors. But we also have physical challenges to deal with that are a consequence of our addiction, the high cost of low living, some have called it. Many of us have other diseases as a result of what we have been through, and we may struggle to get through the shame and guilt we feel before we are willing to or are able to get treatment. Some of us experienced trauma, violence, or abuse that has consequences long after the bruise have, bruises have healed. Getting in touch with my body has been a very slow process, said one member. Any new information from my body just felt like panic. We have been in accidents, violent relationships, fights, war, prison. All of these situations had physical and emotional consequences that manifest in different ways over time. For some of us, there's the simple, strange experience of having lost time. When we get clean, we may feel like we are waking up from a long nap. I look in the mirror and there's an old woman looking back at me, said one member, and every time it's a shock. It seems to me that the last time I looked, I was just starting out. I still feel like a kid, but I look like someone's grandmother. I think about that kind of stuff all the time. Like I'm, I'm getting ready to turn 40. And like, when I look back at my life, you know, starting to use at 16 and not getting clean until I was 38, you know what I mean? It's like, man, I think about all the time I wasted and all the, all the disasters that I caused the people around me and how much time I spent just in, a, in oblivion, you know, nodded off to the whole world or how much time I spent incarcerated or in rehabs, you know what I mean? But I, I can't dwell on that stuff, you know what I mean? I got to come back to like, I'm living free today, I'm clean today. And like the HP has shown me like a, a new way of life. And I thank you for that every day, man, because like, since I've been clean, like it, it really has been just a totally new experience. Like I've been able to travel, like I've been able to make all these awesome friends, you know, I've been able to, you know, keep growing spiritually, man. And like, I wouldn't change it. And, um, you know, here's one thing that I do know, you know, like living a life out in active addiction, you know, using for the rest of my life would be so much worse than, you know, I think I'd rather be dead than living a life out, you know what I mean? Going through all that horror again, 
you know, that's why I stay committed a day at a time to just keeping on with this way of life, man, because I know what's out there. I know what's out there and I, I see it all the time, you know, and it always goes back to like, I, I see people not being accountable and I, I got to look at myself, like, am I staying accountable? Am I being honest? You know, because there is a lot of freedom that comes with like having something that you're doing that you know is not right and you keep it stuffed down. Like there's no growth there. But once you share it, man, it's like the biggest weight ever, you know, off your back. And um, I, I'm glad like through sponsorship and stuff, man, it's like you got you got to be honest. You know, you, you're not going to get anywhere, you know, hiding stuff, man. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to use today. That's why I try to, you know, stay as accountable and honest as possible. Because they say around here, secrets will get you loaded. That's just the facts, man. So, yeah, those would be my comments. I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. I like this part. Um, some of us have experienced trauma, violence, or abuse that has consequences, that has consequences long after the bruises have healed. You know, I prostituted for many years. I was in abusive, a couple of abusive relationships. And it's been, um, it's taken therapy, the steps, and it's been a, a long process um, for me to heal from that, you know. And um, you know, there used to be a lady in the rooms that she would, she would say, um, whenever it was about acceptance, the topic, she would say, but we don't accept unacceptable behavior. And that's how I've healed a lot is not to accept unacceptable behavior from people, you know, has helped with some of um, the abuse and stuff. And therapy has been uh, monumental too. And I can um, really relate to this, look in the mirror. <laughs> and saying, I blow my hair, but I look in the mirror and say, what the fuck happened here, you know? And I am mentally, I'm not, you know, when I came in, I was like a preteen or I was a young teen and I've grown up, I might be about 30, maybe about Brian's age if I'm lucky now, <laughs> you know, mentally, I look in the mirror and it don't, it's like, shit don't match here. <laughs> but you know what? Thank God that I, I have that you know, that I have that youth, that I have that, that's a gift I've come to realize to be young, you know, in my mind, you know, and, and to never grow old, you know, but it's also, I've, I've had fear, you know, as you get older, um, fear of death and fear of a lot of things, you know, that, that, um, or you've had, I've had to face my mortality and recovery many times, you know, when my mom died, just when my mom died, uh, when I had breast cancer, you know, and, and the uh, antidote is always HP, you know, you guys and HP and talking about it, you know, putting it out there, you know. Okay, Eva, go ahead. Okay. Um, I have to figure out sometimes how to, sometimes I have to remember how to unmute myself, you guys, because I'm not young. Speaking of aging, but um, I'm going to talk a little bit about trauma and violence. Um, you know, I, every relationship that I was, I was in since I was 16 was abusive. I can remember in high school, the first boyfriend that I had, long-term boyfriend that I had beat the shit out of me in his, in his car while I was the one driving. And, uh, we pulled over in a rest area and this lady's like, you can get in the car with me. And I'm like, he'll still find me. Like it, I was just reduced to it. Um, you know, and that comes from being in a family where abuse was, uh, was tolerated, you know, um, it just was, it was normal. And, um, so I didn't know any different. And when I met my husband five years clean, so, um, I can't say that I wasn't in relationships, but I never lived with a man, my entire recovery until I married my husband and, and you know, I, uh, was just waiting. As soon as I moved in with this dude, he was going to beat the crap out of me. He was going to beat the shit out of me. And I, you know what I mean? Even though he was different than any other guy I ever dated. And, um, you know what, my husband taught me that not everybody, uh, not every man hits. And when I would instigate the fights, because I have to be honest, I did because that's what I, you know what I mean? When, when I didn't get my way or when things didn't go right, my, my go-to was to yell or, or to pick a fight or whatever when I didn't want to face consequences because that's what happened in my house with a child. 
and um, and he wouldn't bite. He wouldn't pick up the bait. <laughs> He's a normie. Damn it! He didn't know how to fight with me. He never fought with. He didn't fight. He doesn't yell. He doesn't call me names. Never once has he called me a bad name. We've been together for 17 years. Dude has still never called me a bad name. And it took me a little while to not flinch or to not throw out bait or to, you know, try not to start a fight. And, um, and now looking back, um, you know, after that first couple of years in marriage, I couldn't imagine being hit, you know, and I honestly never thought I would find a relationship where um, somebody wasn't uh, in recovery, like had a solid program, because I know dudes that have solid programs can 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 turn their lives around or a woman with a solid program can no longer be combative because I live that life. But I didn't know a dude that didn't have a program because he's a normie, not because he doesn't have a program because he's an addict. But this normie dude, he, like they don't fight and hit and, and argue. And so, um, but it took me a long time and it took me, took me uh, doing a lot of step work around it, making amends with some of the, um, you know, for my behaviors and all those relationships too. And, um, you know, I honestly thought the drugs weren't gonna kill me. I thought it was gonna be a dude or I was gonna kill him and I was gonna end up in prison. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to be out of that, to be clean and to change, to see not only the, to, to not only be in a relationship with a dude who doesn't do that, but to see my actions change because it isn't always the guy that hits. I know that too, because I've been that girl where I would beat the crap out of them. Um, I didn't last very long. So anyway, that's a whole nother story, but I just think, you know, and I think it doesn't get talked to, talked about a lot that it's not only the women that experience trauma through uh, relationships, whether it's uh, physical or mental. I don't think it gets talked about enough. And, uh, and I know that for me, I had to make a ton of amends uh, to some men uh, that I mentally abused and caused trauma to. Um, so that's just some of the stuff that I've learned as I've grown up in Narcotics Anonymous and, uh, that I've had to own. That's all I got. Thanks, Eva. Anybody else want to share? No. Jeremy, would you read the next two that was starting with the likelihood, please? Thank you, Um, Jeremy, I'm an addict. Uh, the likelihood that we would die is less alarming for some of us than the possibility we might get old. Staying clean a long time is one thing. Allowing ourselves to age is quite another. And some of us, as we see it happening, grieve. We may grieve for a long while over the time and opportunities lost to our addiction. We may experience that sense of loss after we have been clean for many years. When, for example, we become a grandparent, we realize how much of our children's life we miss. We may not have noticed that time has passed at all until someone points out to us that our friends or the people we date are a generation younger than we are. Normal social pressures to look young or stay pretty are magnified for us by our self-centeredness, but also by the sense of lost time. The feeling that our looks are something we trade on and that old addict fantasy of dying young and glamorously. We, when we realize we are too old to die young and that we might just be around to live a long and full life, some of us have mixed feelings. There is gratitude, but also a sense of despair. I haven't prepared for this, we think. Some of us seek to preserve our youth as best we can, working hard to dress and care for ourselves as we look and feel younger. 
some of us realize that we have that we have planning to do and take action to ensure the future for ourselves or for our children. Finding the balance between vanity and self-respect, between self-loathing and self-acceptance is a struggle for many of us. When we finally surrender, we find that aging too is a journey and we can actually enjoy the adventure. We are not just growing old, we're growing up. I, uh, you know, I can relate to so much of that. Um, when I first started my recovery, I felt like I, I, had, I was just so consumed with self-loathing because of all the opportunity I felt like I was lost, that I had lost, you know, the relationships that I had ruined. Um, the things that I would never get back, you know, I felt resentful towards recovery uh, because I felt like I was too old for it. I was too stupid for it. I wasn't good enough for it. And that self-loathing led me to, led my, my disease of addiction to act out with things like having multiple gym memberships and trying to feel better about myself by looking a certain way. You know, I was in my 40s, but I felt like if I looked like I did in my 20s, life would be so much better. And it was just through, you know, some of the going to meetings and talking to other addicts that I really started feeling that I really started to come to the realization that I can't do anything about the past. I have to be honest about it. I have to accept it. I have to find some acceptance by working through the steps, but I can't change anything about it. It's happened and it's done with, and I'm powerless over it. I'm powerless over it. And I have no control over it. The only things that I do have control over is what I want to do in the future going forward. And that is continuing my recovery, finding new relationships that have been great. You know, I've got a network of friends now who are all in recovery that are always just a phone call away. You know, whenever something's uh, bogging me down or if I feel like I'm just not in a good place, you know, I can call someone and we can go to, we can meet up at a meeting that night. I don't have to worry about trying to go to a gym in the morning, at lunch, and then in the evening. And if I can't make those, make it at those times, I beat myself up and become consumed with self-loathing. That's, I didn't realize that was my disease acting out until someone pointed it out to me. You know, that was me trying to really kind of make a reservation. You know, I was going, I was doing some of those things so much that try to make me feel better about myself that I was, I was eventually got to where I was hurting myself physically. And they pointed out, well, are you hurting yourself because you want to start using again? And I honestly think he was right. I think it was, I wanted an excuse to use again. So if I was physically hurting myself, I would be okay. It wouldn't count as a relapse. But it, those little seeds were planted there. And I put that reservation of, well, if I, get, if I get hurt again, if I rupture my Achilles again, or if I break a bone again, I have an excuse to use. So that was something that my disease was acting out on that I didn't even realize what was going on until someone in Narcotics Anonymous pointed it out. And I helped come to that, helped me get to that realization. And also, like it said, I mean, I'm having to do a lot of growing up. There's a lot of things that have happened in my life that kind of stunted my maturity. And a lot of that was using and circumstances outside of my control that I am powerless over, but I didn't want to admit that I was powerless over, just like my disease. So yeah, it, whenever I feel these things happening and I feel like, oh, wow, I should have known better. I should have done this. I have to give myself a break 
and realize, well, how was I supposed to know any better if I was never taught or if I was never shown those better ways of living? So thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Jeremy, Jane. Hey, everybody. I, there's lots of stuff in here, lots of stuff. And I know that you have to have 40 years to, to feel old sometimes. Um, I remember feeling very old at 26 and 27 too. Like, I don't know if I could do another day. And, uh, and I came in at, at 28 and I looked around at these old farts and I thought, shit, I'd get sober and go to meetings too if I was that old and dried up, you know. Uh, bar flies looked really ugly back then. <laughs> and I, now I'm an old bar fly, so <laughs> I look around the meeting and think, I wonder if they're thinking the same thing about me. Um, but I do worry a little bit. It seemed like it took forever for me to learn to share in meetings. And then I went through a period of time where you couldn't hardly shut me up, you know. They'd call on me and say three to five minutes, and I'd talk 15, because I had so much damn wisdom, you know. Uh, no, and and then I had to learn to shut up, <laughs> you know. Uh, and sometimes I had to that between vanity and self-respect, I really, um, really clued in on that, you know. I, I for years and years and years I complain about guys not looking at my eyes; they look at my breasts, and now they look at my eyes, and I, I'm complaining about that too. So they really can't win no matter what they do. So I, because uh, I used. I we talked about uh, the feeling that our looks are something we trade on. I did. I did it a lot in the beginnings of recovery because um, that's what I was taught. That was what I knew is men wanted one thing. And so I acted that way and then got surprised when they acted on it. So I um, kind of created my own problems. But I also become grandparents and realize how much of our children's lives we missed. Had a lot of guilt and shame around that. But uh, it gives you an opportunity to do it different. And now I'm a great grandparent, and I'm a hell of a good great grandparent. I get down right there and get dirty. We hell with the dishes. Let's get, get it on. And I'll clean up the mess later. But uh, I was too busy cleaning up the mess before the mess was made when my kids were being raised. Um, so anyway, uh, getting old can can be hard, and I probably talk about it as much as I do anything else. And I think some of that is out of fear. You know, when you're, quote, an old timer, <laughs> sometimes you get to thinking that it, uh, the wisdom grown through uh, pain, grown through mistakes, um, that some of that is kind of sloughed aside and, um, and, and we don't understand. <laughs> well, we don't know. And uh, so sometimes I get to feeling separate from in meetings also. Um, that um, that maybe what I have to say will sound more like a lecture than somebody that's living it. Um, the way I stay in touch with the beginnings of recovery is I do my service work in institutions and treatment centers where I see the disease live and well looking out of those eyes and it takes me back to when I first came in. Uh, but the life that I've gotten through the practice of the spiritual tools over a long period of time has given me a life that has very little chaos and crisis in it. And, uh, and I, I'm not complaining about that. Um, but sometimes in, in meetings and stuff, I do think uh, that um, you can have a crisis and someone with six months has a crisis. And they'll go to the six-month crisis and, and say what they're sharing is real. And they bite, go right past the old-timer. And the old-timer can be the one that's suffering, too. Um, so I, I think there we can all get something out of uh, uh, cherishing the old people in the meetings, too. So I plan on living another 20, 30 years. Probably going to outlive some of the people in those meetings. So, and, um, But I'm not dating nobody. I'll be damned if I'm going to, I'm not raising any more kids. That's enough out of me. Thanks, Jane. I've, you know, self-acceptance is, I try to get up, and this just started in the last couple of years where I try to get up every day and get in and accept, get into self-acceptance, say, I love you. And I, because it, like it said, self-loathing or self-acceptance, you know, I'm a little rough around the edges. I came from the streets, you know, 
I had to, if I compare myself to, to, to people, when I start comparing myself, I, I knock it off. You know, I listen to my self-talk and today my self-talk is don't go there. Don't compare, you know, you're, you're beautiful just how you are, you know, and it's a choice to get up and accept and um, self-acceptance, you know, and, and I try to do that today. And when I was 2012, I let my hair is gray, you know, and, and I used to dye it in 2012 after the breast cancer, I said, I'm not putting any more chemicals. And it was to, to get used to that, to letting it, when I, I thought a box of dye, you know, I'd look different, but you know what? That helps me accept myself for just who I am when I look in the mirror and stuff, you know, and that is that is important to me. It's an inside job, you know, and it says we're not just growing old, we're growing up. You know, I can remember in recovery, like a two and three year old, when they tell me, put your big girl panties on and grow the fuck up. I'd be like, I don't want to, you know, but today I, it, it, it gives me the chills when I have common sense, when I am logical, when I'm growing up, I step up to the plate. That's the shit of recovery today. That's that's esteem building stuff for me today. You know, to grow up, put my big girl panties on, suck it up, and do what I got to do. You know, act like a woman of that's that's asked to HP for help. Anybody else? No, Douglas, would you read the next two, please? Yeah. Should we just stop it right at death, dying, and living with grief? Or no, a member share. <clears throat> A member shared, there really isn't too much uh, to this aging thing except self-acceptance and what your body does. Like so many things in recovery, it sounds so simple from the other side, but getting there can be a long walk. It might be impossible to separate the changes that come with graceful aging from the changes that come from working steps together, though the combination is remarkable. Um, as time has passed and our fellowship has aged, we have started notice, noticing some of our old timers getting more and more beautiful. There's something about spirituality that radiates through our outer being, a sort of agelessness that appears as elegance and dignity. Although we may fear growing older, many of us find that we can embrace and love what we have become, aches and pains and all. As I have aged and have more trouble getting out of the chair without leaning on the table, said another, I'm more secure about who I am. I find myself more attractive than when I was a hot tomato. All right, we'll stop there. Just make some comments before we jump into the, into the next one. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I was thinking this um, you know, when when the folks were sharing was just kind of taking it all in. And I recall one of what one of the old timers told me when they were 12 stepping me, he said, you know, really pay attention to who you're in the presence of. And, and he said this and he said this not in the vein of put these people on a pedestal. It wasn't that at all. It wasn't that at all. It, it, was, it was saying, hey, look, man, there, there's something beautiful going on, and you're a part of something that's really amazing. Your life is changing. And the basic text talks about, you know, in the introduction of the basic text, it talks about, hey, look, we have this body, mind, and, and, and spirit, the, this dilemma, right? The, 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 we have this disease and this, this is hopeless dilemma, but we have this solution, which is spiritual. And this book is going to talk to you about spiritual matters. And this fellowship is going to change you from, from there out. Man, that's the vein that he was talking about. And I think, and I think that's what this paragraph that I just read is getting to. And so I would encourage the listeners, no matter where you're at in your recovery, to take a step back and kind of and kind of be aware of who you're in the presence of. And again, not, you know, and I know, I know, I know as a fellowship as a whole, man, we're real touchy about I ain't putting them on a pedestal. You know, I ain't doing this unless it's our sponsor, and we kind of do it anyway. But you know, it's one of those things. But but folks, man, like that. That's one of the things if I if I could if I could go back and kind of retool, you know, some of the some of the seasons of my recovery, man, I would be more mindful of who I'm in the presence of that extra phone call, man, maybe, you know, hearing that story because it's so beautiful, man. Like now, uh, now I'm mindful of that, man. I nurture the relationships I have with people in my life. You know, there's not a day that goes by where I'm not told that I love you by many people whether it's on the phone or text or something, there's not a day goes by where I don't tell many people that I love them. And here's the cool thing, man. There's some dudes that I do it that, uh, that they won't say, I love you back. They'll say, I got you, bro. Or something like they're just not there yet. You know, you know, they're just not there yet, which is, which is still cool. But, um, you know, I, and I, and I think, I think what I want to say this to, um, maybe the paragraph before 
the the balance between the vanity and self-respect piece and self-love and self-acceptance piece. I don't know if that's specifically, um, if it has to be specifically tied to, to the aging process. That's just about, and I can relate that to a lot of different areas of my life is like, hey, look, um, I need to try to try to be in moderation because here's my default setting. Instantly, I'm either so much better than you or I'm so beneath you. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's one of those. And that's kind of like, oh, recovery has allowed me to become right-sized. You know, we used to talk about that a lot in the program. It's like, hey, I need to be right-sized, you know, and, and, and I'm neither greater nor lesser. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of linked up with you. And so I think that was kind of cool. Um, you know, one last thing, I don't know, I don't know if this, if, if this really ties into this section, but I, I just wanted to share this too, because I, I so appreciate um, the transparency uh, that you folks had. And Eva, I think even when I interviewed you on the Just For Today episode, you were talking about a lot of this stuff. I mean, you laid it out there, got so much love and feedback from listeners talking about how can you open up like that? You know, that's, that, that, that's really beautiful, man. And it's really cool. And, and, um, you know, the, so, so the trauma or whatever, and then how, how it stays with us emotionally for a while, exactly right. Sometimes we need to seek outside help to kind of untangle the confusion and the hurt. Bro, I, I was younger than my youngest son. I had to be eight, nine years old or something like this. And sexual stuff was just as rampant in my family as anything else. And I remember I was in a room full of adult men. One, one, one was a member of my family and the rest were adult men watching pornography movies on the TV. I was eight, nine years old, I guess it was. And, and, the, and the situation was just about like kind of making fun of me, asking questions, laughing at my responses. I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. You know, I remember bits and pieces of that. And, you know, some other things like compounded on that. And, you know, mo most of my, most seasons of my life, when, when I'm really chasing um, escape through sex, I still have to have some element of like humiliation or something like this okay and I think this is one of those things in the paragraph I just read it talks about hey look you know as we age you know time heals some things and stuff like that and 12-step work what what's happened for me over the years is like the dust has settled I've been able to identify hey this isn't serving me well this is an area that's causing me pain it's causing you pain and it's causing static between the HP and myself and so I, I saw it saw some help with a psychologist you know and talked about like hey how do I how do I identify this? How do I start unwrapping some of that, those painful patterns? And, um, and I got a lot of hope, man. I got some healing, you know, that started to, to happen and, and stuff like that as a result of it. And I want to tie it in. And this is the last comment I'll make. I want to tie it in with what you were talking about, Barb. It's like, folks, I have to, I have to, when I'm in a painful season or, or I've, I've identified a pattern like this, you know, that, that, that continues 20 years later or whatever it is, I have to look for that rainbow at the end of the storm. I, I just have to. Like, I have to believe that, hey, I might be going through a tough time now, but I'm growing, I'm changing, I can be better than the person I was yesterday. I have to believe that's still true, man. I have to, you know, I'm not done growing, you know, and so, so I really think there's a lot, I really think it's really important. My perspective is, man, I have to, I have to be able to, to grow and, and there's hope, you know, through the process. So that's going to be my comments. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pass with that. Thanks, Douglas. And we get freedom. You know, I get freedom from Barb. I get freedom from that stuff. We get freedom. We're promised freedom from active addiction. I can have freedom. I can have it all if I do the work, you know, and that's awesome. Okay, Jen. Thanks, Barb. Um, this piece about self-loathing self and self-acceptance is a struggle. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to say that at 29 years clean, that it isn't something that, you know, I've struggled with. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up in this household where, <clears throat> you know, you have to look good and pretend that you're okay and be okay. And if everything looks good, we're good, right? We're good. And so I fought that for years and years and years and, you know, making sure that my outsides and my insides were the same. And it's been this, you know, roller coaster of stuff. And, you know, I, I was 17 years old when I got clean. I'm, I'm 46. I'm clearly not the 17 year old girl that walked in here today, but there was so much based on looks. And even today, you know, um, you know, my, my mother still kind of, 
you know, like, you know, likes to walk in my house and tell me how dirty it is, or, you know, tell me that, you know, I've gained a couple pounds, or I mean, is it, it's this, this was my whole life, right? And so I get to, I get to this place today at 46 years old, where I'm finally free of that, you know, it doesn't mean it doesn't tinge up and it doesn't, it doesn't show up in my life. But the way that I think about myself today, versus when I was 25, or even 17, when I walked in the doors is, that's some freedom for me, you know, um, the self-acceptance of I am who I am, you know, this is how I look, this is who I am, this is where I'm going, this is what I want, this is what I don't, you know what I mean? All of that other stuff has, I've come to a place in my recovery and, you know, and in, in my life where like most days I'm really okay with myself at 46 years old, you know, um, and, and my mom can like, you know, and, and just recently, you know, my mom came over and made, you know, was watching my kids for a couple of days and made some comments about this, that, and the other thing. And I was just like, you know, okay, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. And, um, but, but what happened through this process of, of finding myself and that self-acceptance has been that I like myself way more than I did you know, when it says, you know, when I was a hot tomato, right? It's like, you know, when you're 20 and you think you're all that in a bag of chips. I didn't think I was all that in a bag of chips when I was 20. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying I feel like that now, but what I feel like is that I'm okay exactly the way I am. And people are going to like me the way that I am or not. And I don't have to please anybody anymore. And, and the freedom from that and the hope that I get that, you know, the next 40 years or however long I'm here that I can continue to feel that way is this huge weight off of, of this piece of my disease that would just pick at me all the time. You know what I mean? You know, and, uh, and it doesn't pick at me the same way anymore. And, and I'm so grateful for that reprieve. I'm so grateful for the, I'm so grateful for the, the, the ways that I had to get here, you know, when we've talked about the rainbow, you know, a bunch of times, you know, or I think, you know, Douglas talks about, you know, being buried and being planted, right. You know, it's like, clearly I felt like I've been buried for a long time and, and, you know, maybe I just had to hibernate for a long time. I don't know. It felt like forever, but, you know, something else is happening in my life and my recovery. And even though I want to feel like, you know, everything's piling on me, I know that the end result is something bigger than I can even imagine. And, and, and that journey for me and that hope that I have today has kind of like sparked my recovery in a place where, you know, I, I, I finished a 12 step around the steps and I finished my 12 step last week. And, you know, it was this idea that of, 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 and, and confirmation that like doing the work, you know what I mean? Has, you know, I, the rewards, you know, um, and even though it's been yucky and, and even though I don't like the way that I feel all the time, the, the rewards that I get from walking through that, you know, um, and that's probably the biggest thing for me that I've realized is, you know, when I'm authentic and transparent and I'm who I am and I'm okay with what I am, like the, I see the rewards instead of thinking that they're like a burden or, you know what I mean? Like, Oh my God, I have to do this again. Or I have to go to my home group or I have, you know what I mean? It's like, these are the things that I'm excited about again. And, um, and I'm so grateful, you know, that, 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 you know, the HP's got me, you know, even when I think it's not happening, you know what I mean? That I, I get to participate in this process with you guys, you know, and, and, and it, and I'll just say, man, I didn't think a year ago, um, never thought, you know, my life was kind of cruising in this little vein of, of what I was doing and where I was going. And, you know, I kind of had this map of what things were going to look like, man, and that fucking blew up, you know what I mean? And I mean, it has been amazing and hard and all of those things, but the effort that I put forth, I think is what I'm learning the effort that I put forth does have a ripple effect in my life, you know, where, you know, six months ago, my children were struggling and, you know, now we're thriving and we're working together and we're a family and, and, and these little things that keep happening in my life show me that this program works. I'm a hundred percent, you know, there, you know, it works. I may have forgot for a hot second, but here I am. And I know that it works today. So, um, that's all I got. Thanks. Thanks, Jen.
Well, that's about a wrap. Sometimes that rainbow is, is you guys. A lot of times that rainbow is you guys. So I love you guys. I'm so grateful to have you in my life and to be a part of this. Thanks. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.